Hi, everyone, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Great Muppet Caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And today we are very happy that our special guest from last week is back with us. Guest, please tell our listeners who you are. Hi, everybody. My name is Louis Perlman. I am a writer for Tough Pigs. Uh, I also am a performer with the incredible group Story Pirates. And you can check out a song that I sang. It's the title track of our album. It's called Backstork Raptor. You can stream it right now. Cool. We'll, <laughs> we'll include a link to that. Yeah, I'll shill something totally different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <clears throat> yeah. Have a lot of irons in the fire. Always. It's why I'm unsuccessful at all of them. Oh, no. That's so not true. (laughs) Well, today we are talking about minutes 95 and 96 of The Great Muppet Caper. Out of 98. Out of 97, right? Right. Well, we have one. We have like just over a minute left. Yeah. It's like one minute and five seconds after this or something. Are you guys going to have a guest for that one? Like just to talk about the credits or was that just the two of you? It'll just the be plan the is for us. it to just be the two of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you should bring on a guest and be like, "You get the credits." <laughs> well, actually, for the Muppet movie season, we had uh, our mutual friend Joe Hennis on for the opening credits and the closing credits. Uh huh. And he was kind of like, maybe and next was- time. <laughs> yeah, like maybe next time I can be on for minutes where something actually happens. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Although he does love reading names on a screen. He sure does. It's his favorite activity. Yes. So, uh, where was I? This is, these are the minutes where Statler and Waldorf can't believe the Muppets are heroes, and many Muppets get thrown out of a plane. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so we open on this front page headline, as we mentioned last week, from the Daily Chronicle, uh, which is being read by our, our old friend Waldorf. Uh, I wanted to mention, in a previous episode, we were trying to figure out how much time passes over the course of this movie. And over on the Tough Pigs forum, alert listener Matt Smith pointed out that at the beginning of the movie, we see an edition of the Daily Chronicle. with the It's the one with the headline, Identical Twins Join Chronicle Staff. Mm-hmm. The date on that newspaper is Wednesday, August 27th, 1980. Mm-hmm. So... This newspaper that Waldorf is reading in this scene, with the headline, Twins and Pig Foil Heist, Thieves Caught Red-Handed, the date on that newspaper is Wednesday, August 27th, 1980. So oh, everything so no we just saw yeah. Very happened good. in one day. Or oh, less. that's excellent. So they didn't even really stay at the Happiness Hotel then. <laughs> or they? they time-traveled or something. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Which, but which, which also means that um, uh, Jack Warden, Mr. Tarkanian is going to be mad again that the identical twins are on the cover of his newspaper that he doesn't edit until it's been printed yeah. again. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's crazy. But, but that, in a row. Said, that being said, this is the part of the movie where they are on the plane and then they are thrown out of the plane and then there is a closing musical number over credits, and then the movie is done. And I feel like I wrote in my notes, this would have been a great time, I think, to just have maybe two more minutes in the movie, 
And I wrote maybe something with Lady Holiday, which it turns out was cut out of the script. Yes. Right? Yeah, folks, if you haven't heard last week's episode, you can go back and listen to the the stuff about the scene that was cut with Lady Holiday. Yeah, that sort of ends her arc a little bit. Right. Uh, Or I was saying maybe something back at the Chronicle. You know, I feel like just something that's like maybe them all having some sort of ticker tape party or something because, uh, you know, these new twins that they hired broke such a great story. You know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah, that I like. Yeah. Because the whole thing was set into motion in the scene in Mr. Tarkanian's uh, newsroom. So it would make sense to go back to him and have him sort of begrudgingly say, well, all right, I guess you, you did it after all. Yeah, that's something that I've learned yeah, writing sure. like, a, like a longer piece is that like everything that you set up, either you should resolve near the end of the piece that you're writing or you should get rid of it. Because most things that uh, most plot points that you throw out there feel like they're leading to something that will have a resolution. And I actually don't feel like what happens in the newspaper office has a resolution, and I think it kind of muddles the end of this movie a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Because like that, and that like that like goes for jokes as well. Like jokes can't just be jokes because if they're just jokes, sometimes they feel like they're just uh, that they are also set up for something else. Jokes have to either be a setup for something else; they have to actually be that, or they have to reveal something new about a character or something new about a plot point. And for the most part, Muppet writers are really good at that. Um, And I'm not criticizing this part of the movie as that being a problem, but it's sort of like either plot points or jokes when you're writing. That's what needs to happen with them to not feel like there is to make it feel like there's a proper resolution. And I feel like this is where the movie kind of fails in that in that part of the movie. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, can you think of any examples of, sure. of Muppet jokes or even from this movie that do those things successfully? Yes, there's one in the scene, so I'll just bring it up now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just Scooter being like, good thing the radio froze to my wrist <laughs> yes. is a really good visual joke, but it also does reveal something about Scooter in that he's like looking on the bright side of this kind of lousy situation. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and that he's well, like, well, and that he's into his. He's into like keeping his radio safe, which I feel is also <laughs> really specific for Scooter. So like that's a good joke that totally reveals a character. It's a really smart character moment that I think makes us understand him a little more. You know? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I get it. It's fascinating that you bring up that moment because I've always kind of assumed that that's just like an oddly placed prop that the radio was supposed to be in his hand and it ended up on his wrist. And Richard Hunt improvised, my radio is frozen to my wrist. I have no idea if that's true. That's just how it always seemed to me. That could very well be true. It could very well be an improvised moment. But the thing that – something else I like about it is that it is a joke that is funnier from a Muppet because you can get the radio on the wrist like that as opposed to – Right, exactly. A human, it's it's a little less funny of a joke. You know, it's something that that the Muppets can do because, because they're fantastical, you know? Right. Well, do you do you happen to know if it was in that draft of the script you have, Ryan? You know, I meant to look and I forgot. Um, I don't think it was. 
Oh, maybe it's yeah. surprised. It's a great, it's just a great joke. It, it's really funny. It just feels so much to me, like like Richard Hunt looked at where the prop was, yeah. and and wrote that joke. Yeah, you, and you actually, know? I was I was trying to remember Anthony if you were the the Muppet fan friend of mine who had who had uh, suggested that theory, but yeah, I, I yeah, was. I think it's it it seems likely. Yeah, and it also seems likely because Richard Hunt was a genius. So yes. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, just a total genius. So it, it, it totally makes sense that he would improvise something on the spot that has like enough depth to it to read within the film in a way that like I think works really well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but then and then going back a step. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think, and I guess maybe they didn't want a scene in the newsroom to come after the parachuting scene, because that's kind of a, a, a visually flashy scene. So they didn't want to then follow it with something of just characters sitting in a room, but well, I don't know, maybe it could have been Kermit on the phone with Mr. Tarkanian or something. I, I, I do agree that there could have been a little bit more here. Definitely. Like it seems like unfortunately what happened here, and this happens sometimes with musicals. Uh, and I can speak to experience with this. I just wrote a musical that I talked about in the last episode. You can check out stuff about it at www.joeyronmusical.com. Musical's called Joey and Ron. But like sometimes you work scenes around throwing in a musical number and they clearly wanted the parachute scene to be the credits for the film. Yes. And I think that they had to do some, they, they had to do some workarounds to make it happen. And that's one of the reasons why the film feels a little weirdly resolved to me. You know what I mean? Despite the fact that I think the parachute scene is great as a closing number. I think it's wonderful. That's not the problem, you know? So yeah, like a phone call. Why can't he? Well, I mean, I don't know where they, well, they shot this all in England, right? The whole thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, except for the, the hot air balloon scene in the beginning was in New Mexico, but everything else was in England. Yeah, so they could totally have an excuse to have that character back in the film in England all of a sudden. You know what oh, I mean? that's true. Yeah, he could just yeah. show up like, I heard something was going on. Yeah, yeah. of course he could, you know? Absolutely. And then he could say, here are your tickets back home. And yeah. that's when they, then you, then you cut to the, the plane. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really do think there needs to be just one more thing in there, and it yeah. just doesn't quite happen. Yeah. Although then that also leads to my other question, which it's not quite clear. So Fozzie does say it was nice of the Chronicle to to pay for their ride home, but is the Chronicle paying for all of these people? Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> there's so many well, of these guys who, who not only do so they not work that- for the newspaper... That's how I interpret it, for sure. Is that the Chronicle's well, like, yeah, bring all your friends back with you. You know, you have to sit in the luggage, you know? Like, right. But not only do some of the, like, obviously all of these people are staying at the hotel and just are leaving at the same time. Some of them work at the hotel. Right? Yes, who's pops, manning the front desk with chefs gone? <laughs> right, yeah. Don't you think that after they solve the case of the baseball diamond, perhaps... The Happiness Hotel has just shuttered its doors forever. <laughs> well, I so I have a theory. We we learned in this in the earlier draft of the script, Sam the Eagle was the hotel detective. That's uh, oh, from an earlier version. Yeah, yeah. So maybe because he's not on the plane, maybe 
Sam is back at the hotel. Just that's cool. Keep and watch. He is when they're. We do see him when they're parachuting, though. So where did oh, he come that's from? Oh, that's true. That's if, true. Yeah. But then that's the question: is where did he come from? But he can he's parachuting. But he, but he can fly. He's oh, an eagle. He can an eagle? fly. Have we oh, ever seen yeah. him fly? I don't think so. I don't know if he I, can fly. I feel like that would be unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, if R two D two can fly, Sam the eagle can fly. Well, yeah, but he's another Muppet bird that maybe can't fly. Just hmm. like, uh, you know, just like Big Bird. Big Bird can't fly either, you have to remember. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. That's and who true. else can't? There's other Muppet birds that we've never seen fly, you know? Um, I, the only ones yeah. that come to mind are chickens or penguins who can't yeah, and, fly. And anyway, we have seen but, chickens fly. We have well, yeah, they can fly, flap their wings. And flap around, it. yeah. And the penguins do a lot of flipping a lot of the time. Yes, and, they can toss themselves in the air. Yes, they seem to be really good at that, definitely. They're, they're acrobats. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to go back to... So Waldorf and Statler are looking at the newspaper. Waldorf says, uh, now that they, they're heroes, the Muppets are going to be obnoxious. And Statler says, so what else is new? Yeah. But are the Muppets obnoxious? I mean, I guess Statler and Waldorf find them annoying or irritating, but obnoxious to me sort of implies like something deliberate. Yes, I think that Statler and Waldorf think that the Muppets are have somehow been put on this earth to specifically annoy and antagonize them. That there's some right. m- and, maliciousness there. Yes. <laughs> and yet they bought tickets on the same flight back to America as the Muppets are in the cargo hold, just so that they can continue to be aggravated by. Them well, isn't that, isn't that the dynamic between Statler and Waldorf and the rest of the Muppets right there? Yes, and when uh, everyone is yeah, parachuting, absolutely. Statler and Waldorf are right there. Yeah. So they not only did they get on the same plane, they also threw themselves out of the plane to join the the other Muppets for this I musical mean, number. Isn't it just <laughs> isn't it just the truth that it's some some sort of symbiotic energy exchange that happens between Statler and Waldorf and the rest of the Muppets, where if they're if Statler and Waldorf aren't around the Muppets or the Muppets aren't around Statler and Waldorf, then they all just like die. <laughs> like that's it I, for them. Yeah, they definitely have a weird relationship. Yeah, a they, weird yeah. dynamic. Yeah, they they have to be together. You know, they they need each other. It's yeah. like it's like the end of um the nineteen eighty nine Batman movie where Batman and the Joker have a fight about who made who first. <laughs> Right. Yes. <laughs> we should see that scene played out with uh, Statler and Waldorf and Fozzie. And Fozzie, yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, you could. You know what? We should. We should write Mark Hamill a letter. He can be the Joker. <laughs> Fozzie can be Fozzie. He'd do it. That's the thing. Yeah, and Fozzie probably can, would. Fozzie can guess, be Frank Oz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fozzie can be Frank Oz. Who would not do it? So. No, he wouldn't. Do- Although, you know what? If you got Mark Hamill on board, Frank Oz might do it. Yeah, because they're such nice, that's, they're that's such true. nice bros. The yeah, two of them. that's true. That is they're, true. They're like yeah, yeah. Friends, the two of them apparently. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's yeah. the key to getting Frank Oz to come yeah, back. I've seen that's he did the Last Jedi for that reason, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Want to hang out with Mark? Yeah, and yeah. also want to work with Ryan. All right, with, with Ryan Johnson because who wouldn't? And anyway. Maybe we should get. Maybe we should get Ryan Johnson to direct this. Yeah, and just get uh, more. Your needs to be in it with purple hair, and then I'm on board. <laughs> I would. Sure, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The train I, I would, off the track here, but. 
No, I, I was I would seriously like to see a Muppet movie directed by Ryan Johnson. Oh my god, can you imagine a Muppet a Muppet version of Knives Out? It would be so good. Yeah, like it's like he could a do perfect it. use for the character or for the characters. Yeah, in my yeah. opinion, like a like a murder mystery like that would be amazing with the Muppets. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I think. This is this is we're getting a little off track here with these two minutes of the movie, but I feel like <laughs> like this is a real Muppet geek conversation. Is I think the biggest issue with Disney owning the Muppets right now is they don't really understand that they can take big risks and do stuff that's more for adults. Like, you know, I want to see a, a Muppet murder mystery. I want to well, see. I mean, you should. I got this thing called the Liza Minnelli episode of the Muppet Show for you. Sure, 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 sure. But like. All of that stuff that was that was um, you know Henson and company playing really fast and loose with the tropes of the characters because they they knew that they were resilient enough. Do you know what I mean? So like do yeah, that yeah, for sure. So like yeah. do it do it in a movie. Do it in a mini series that's five episodes long on Disney Plus. You know what mm. I mean? Like, oh, that would rule. Yeah, like do it in interesting formats instead of just sort of these. You know, that's sort of what I like so much specifically about um, Muppets Most Wanted, which owes so much to Great Muppet Caper, is that it feels much more like it's a genre of film that is being, where the the Muppets are being used for. You know what I mean? Like, you know, get get the Muppets directed by some interesting film directors that might want to work with them, but, you know, are auteurs in their own right you know i want to see a quentin tarantino muppet movie he'd probably <laughs> he'd probably do it I, that doesn't necessarily mean i want to see a quentin tarantino a quentin tarantino muppet movie that isn't appropriate for families that's the but thing I, yeah i don't know i don't want to see the r-rated muppet movie no i'm not interested in that at all but i think that there's a meeting place where tarantino could you, 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 you his cinematic style without doing anything that wouldn't be appropriate for families i totally feel like that 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 could happen you know what i mean that's what i want to see i'd love to see a ryan johnson muppet movie i think he'd do a really good job with them you know i think he's so brilliant he did such a good job with star wars yeah uh you know despite the what other people say (laughs) you know so it's like i want to see him i want to see the muppets tackled by smart people who love the property you know yeah that's all all for me rant off slash rant done (laughs) (laughs) anthony were you gonna interject something well, I was just going to say that um, uh, Brian Henson already made the R-rated movie. Uh, remember? It was called Happy Time oh. Murders, and it stunk. Well, yeah. So well, it, it stunk, need, though, not because it's R-rated. You don't need Tarantino to make it. It, it stunk. It didn't it stink stunk because, because it stunk. Right, exactly. It stunk because it was, like, really poorly written, you know, yeah. and, yes. it, and, yes. and the jokes weren't funny, and the characters weren't compelling, you know. Right, um, right. No, no, no. I, I'm just, I just meant because Ryan said he didn't want to see that. And like it kind of already exists and he still yeah. doesn't want to see. Yeah. It. And it's, we didn't want to see it then. And we don't want to see it now. Yeah, totally. You know, but like, even like, um, you know, there certainly was stuff I feel about the ABC Muppets show that they yeah. got really right. Uh, and that I enjoyed, but what I didn't care, like, I don't really care about like the subplots that were more adult. Like I thought that they were just, off tone for the characters you know like Fozzie dating this woman and having to like get along with the parents and stuff like it's just not what i care to see Fozzie doing it's not about Mm -hmm. it being appropriate or inappropriate it's just about like how compelling is that in the end of the day and at the end of the day it's 
not really as interesting as like how Fozzie's written in this film, you know, like that line we talked about in the last episode of Fozzie being like that sweetness and that naivety of, of, you know, Mr. Holiday, if you could, you know, what does he say? Mr. Holiday, please unhand our frog or, you know, if you could please, you know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. So polite about it. That's what's so fun about Fozzie, you know, not seeing right. him fretting over his like perfectly nice, lady girlfriend he has you know <laughs> yeah i didn't have so much of a problem with that story I, I do definitely think the abc series i think it was good that they we've probably talked about all this stuff before i think it was good that they tried to do more adult things with the characters but not all of them worked and certainly not all of them were what the audience wanted to see the characters doing definitely definitely it was a kind of a cool experiment that ultimately like had its hits and misses i feel you know yeah uh, meanwhile, back in the Great Muppet Caper, uh, I did open the uh, screenplay draft here, and the the radio frozen to the wrist line is not there. Awesome. There, there is a weird line where Scooter is asking somebody, mind if I use your tail for a pillow? Which is... <laughs> well, radio frozen to wrist is a way better it, joke. Yeah, it's a lot better. So great job. Yeah. Great job, Richard Hunt. You win again as principal. Yes. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. There's also this exchange in the draft where Piggy says, "At least they could have given us separate cages." Kermit says, "They did give us separate cages." Piggy says, "You mean there's no crocodile Muppet?" And Kermit says, "Not that I know of." And Piggy says, "Oh boy." Then Janice says, "Okay, now just stay calm and like don't move for like the next six hours." Huh? Which it is also seems... weird and pretty clumsy. And also, there are Muppet crocodiles. Right, and it seems weird for Piggy to phrase it like that. Also, like, it's weird. It's weird for Piggy to be referring to use the term Muppet. Right, yes. exactly, exactly. Muppet used in the rest of this film at all as a term? No, no, um, no. The, only the, when they read the title in the opening credits. Yeah, the sure. The, the, on, the only time in these three movies at all that the word Muppet is used ever is to refer to the titles in uh, Muppet. Manhattan, nobody says it at at all. In the Muppet movie, Kermit says, Welcome to the first screening of the Muppet movie. And and um and I guess I guess Orson Welles says no, he says Kermit the Frog and Company, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say and the Muppets, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a thing earlier in in the Muppets career where it was sort of like Muppets referred to the, the troop of characters, or but then they sort of got away from that and maybe became more of a brand name. I, I don't know. Right. Don't know until, makes sense, but. until Jason Siegel got his hands on it, then they called themselves that constantly. And that's the only word in the entire screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> just the whole time they're like, Muppets, Muppets, Muppets. Well, that's the title. So Muppet. Yeah. They're, they're like, if we, if we stand on top of each other, we are a Muppet man. That's All right. right. And then they, in the next movie, they make Muppet ladder. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That's huh. right. Yeah. That's interesting. In this yeah. movie, they don't say, let's make a Muppet chain. Yeah. No, no, they don't. Reach the gallery floor. Yeah. Huh. Right. Well, another thing that happens in this movie is an airline employee comes into the cargo hold and <laughs> says, everybody out for the USA. How close are they? About 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. 
this is a different guy than the one who came in to do the same thing in the earlier scene. That guy was played by Jay Tarsus, one of the writers of the screenplay. This one is played by Tom Patchett, another one of the writers of the screenplay. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Was, yeah, he was uh, Jay Tarsus's longtime uh, comedy writing partner. And, and right. here's a question. And the creator of Elf. Of Alf, yes, another puppet. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask, and you've probably already covered this, but how are these guys associated with the Muppets pre-making this film, pre-writing it? Because I, this isn't a Jerry Jewell film, right? He didn't work on no, it at all, right? No, no, he didn't. He didn't work on Muppets Take Manhattan at all. Oh, this one, Jerry, on one. Jer- Jerry Jewell and veteran comedy writer Jack Rose wrote a draft. Okay, and then Patchett and Tarsus wrote a draft, and the movie is a kind of a synthesis of those two. So they're all four of those writers are credited on this film. Very cool. Okay. Yes. Uh, I think it's yeah. Jack Gross, Ampersand, Jerry Jewell, and Tom Patchett, Ampersand, Tom Jay Patchett, Tarsus. Ampersand, Jay Tarsus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I always think of Tom Patchett as there's an episode of the Bob Newhart show where Emily is invited to join Mensa and Tom Patchett plays a member of Mensa whose talent is being able to say any word backwards as soon as he hears it. Oh my and God. That's Emily says her funny. name is Emily. And he says, he says, he says, Elame, and Bob says his name is Bob. And Tom Patchett just kind of glares at him and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great joke. Does he throw Bob Newhart yeah. out of a cargo hold? Yeah. And then Bob Newhart gets thrown out of a cargo hold. And it's, <laughs> it's a much darker joke. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he starts doing here. He's grabbing Muppets and throwing them out of the plane. Um, I don't think I had noticed before that when he grabs Beaker, he says, come on, Carrot Top. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I, I didn't notice that either. That's great. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, we we see a shot of the plane in the air actually flying with figures falling out of it and their mm-hmm. parachutes are opening. That's just kind of a quick shot. And then we cut to this shot of a clear blue sky with Muppets parachuting past the camera, mm-hmm. which is really cool. We don't actually talk about this a lot with all the other impressive things that are in this movie, like the bicycles and the the water ballet. But it's another, I mean, you have to think this took a while to figure out how to do it and then to execute it. It's one of the ones that it's not, it's, the bicycle thing is so intentionally showy, Right. Right. It, it's sort of like it's a real display of what they could do. This is really, I think, where the magic lies in the Muppets, in that they figured out how to do it. It's executed flawlessly. As audience members, we don't really notice how complex it is. You know, because right, then after a few seconds they're gonna hide it under the credits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's totally cool. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a really cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. And there is actually an entry about this on the Jim Henson's Red Book blog, mm-hmm. uh, curated by the Jim Henson Company archivist Karen Falk. Karen, she, Hi, yeah, Karen. <laughs> yeah, she wrote uh, a July fifteenth, nineteen eighty memo from Carly Wilcox of the Muppet Workshop made it clear why they waited until the last days of filming to shoot this scene. The possibilities she outlined included using costumed parachutists wearing Muppet masks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, using oversized yeah. dummies carved to look like the characters or shooting a scale model of Terrible. the plane with miniatures in a wind tunnel. But Jim went with her last suggestion, wait until the end of the shoot and use real puppets in weighted harnesses. 
If they get ruined, they get ruined. Mm-hmm. So that's what they did. And Very that, cool. It, that works. Yeah, I'm really glad they used the real puppets. And, so, like oh, and, and all the size dummies carved to look like the characters. Oh yeah, what a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like Muppet Show live characters or something, like throwing out of a plane. It's a terrible idea. Like, ugh, well, ugh, it's, it's all the stuff that doesn't totally work in these three films. Is anything that's not to scale doesn't work, right? They try. Yeah, we can always tell. You, we can always tell, 100%. Uh, you know, putting people inside costumes, it doesn't replicate it. It just doesn't work, you know? It's the it's the weakest moments in all three of the Henson-era Muppet movies, you know? And they don't do it for the other ones. There's no people dressed as Muppets in the, like, Brian Henson-era Muppet films or in the hmm. uh, Disney era. They don't do it. They're like, nope. We know this was a cool experiment that Jim tried. It didn't work, you know? Yeah, I guess that's right. And, and also, some of that might have to do with the fact that it's easier to green screen out a puppeteer now. That is fair. Absolutely. That's totally fair. Yeah. yeah. But they they don't do it in the Muppet movie either, do they? It, isn't there a scene? No, it might just be in the last two. You're right. I'm yeah. I'm combing back. Yeah, they, they might just only use Yeah, I think... Muppet the closest thing is 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 the giant animal head which That's actually right. works pretty well it's yeah. great it's great because it's another puppet <laughs> do you know what i mean it's a puppet. Yeah. exactly exactly yeah it's not yeah. it's not a it's not they didn't paint frank oz's face like animals and have him do it <laughs> not that they would ever do that but what a nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then do we you, know you, you the, know that if they tried to get frank oz to do that he would have just said, make Stevie do it. Give it to yeah, Stevie. Totally, right? totally. <laughs> do you guys know if um, because of this final sequence with the full bodies and the parachutes and stuff, were the Muppets torn to shreds? <laughs> like Jim Henson said might happen. I, that that I don't know. It, ended? It, was, it was with all the puppets just being destroyed. <laughs> it doesn't specify in that Red Book blog entry. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess some of them might have been more delicate than others. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, it probably screwed up some of their flocking for sure. Yeah, that's a yeah. good guess. Yeah. Um, I like that Kermit doesn't have his own parachute. He's just hanging off of piggies. Yeah, because he's light as a feather. Yeah. But he's putting a lot of trust in that. This is know. another moment yeah, of the adorable. film. This is another moment of the film where we're really lucky Kermit doesn't have really huge, strong arms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Animal it just kind of swings in and out of the frame a couple times. He's upside down in his parachute. That's great. Uh, yes. <laughs> Being very, very, very on brand for Animal. Yeah. And yeah, that's actually all I have for specifically for the parachuting. I have more about credits and things but uh any other notes about specifically about the parachuting um for me no i mean i just think it's hugely charming i'm into it yeah Uh, i like it a lot it's a great end to this film uh yeah i just should say i have nothing against this scene it's not why i dislike why i think the end of the movie is rushed i think the scene is pretty perfect as is you know sure yeah yeah anthony not no, I got uh, I got to all my notes on this part so far. Okay, so we have credits. Credits are fun, as we were saying. We love reading names on screens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main Muppet performers are all credited 
with the names of all their characters, which I always love seeing. Uh huh. Yes. False. Which is, a, which is a good way to do it. It's also not complete though. What? Because Jerry Nelson is credited as Floyd Pops in New Zealand. He's not credited as a Lewis Kazager, who is very prominent in one scene, mm. and he's also not credited as Camilla. Wasn't he? Camilla didn't get a credit in the Muppet movie and get one here either. Oh, that's weird. Wow, the female chickens yeah. of the Muppet troupe always being marginalized. Yeah, not getting proper credit where it's, credit it's is true. true. It's yeah, it's weird. It's well, I guess it feels more egregious in the Muppet movie where she's like easily his most prominent character. She's far, in every scene, you know? Gonzo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and in this one, she's not in it nearly as much, but like it's clearly her, and she gets things to do. And like, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird that every, I think every Muppet who speaks is credited except for Camilla, you know, Clex and Louis Kazager. So it's, huh. it's just Jerry Nelson. Yeah. That is, that's really interesting. He got shortchanged. Yeah. That's weird. Um, and then though, we have uh, also starring Charles Grodin as Nikki Holiday, Diana Rigg as Lady Holiday. Mm-hmm. Their names are like perfectly side by side centered on the screen, which feels like that's probably a negotiated billing thing, right? Uh, I mean, it's they, they, they have an equal part in the film. I would say so. And, and it's not like there's a draw that one of them has that the other one doesn't have that becomes like a first billing, second billing thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I, I don't, yeah. Oh, it, it could have. Well, his been... name is first, left to right, but sure. I don't know if that means anything. Is his name first alphabetical as well? Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Gr- I don't... Groden comes way before Rig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Groden comes before Rig. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't. I don't know if that's a negotiated thing or if it's just these are the two human co-stars. This is where they go in the credits. Could be. It really could be one or the other. I don't think that one's right or one's wrong there. You know. I may be overthinking it. I always just think of, uh, is it uh, the Towering Inferno where uh, I think, it, is it Steve McQueen and Paul Newman? Yes. And one of their names is to the left, but yep. further down. And one of their names is to the right, but further up mm-hmm. because they couldn't agree on who would like, what consists of, you know, what, what constitutes top billing and which one gets it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of look for things like that. Yeah. And then they had a fight about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a burning building. Mm-hmm. Next, we move on to cameo guest stars. There are only four in this movie, although there is a fifth one who was not credited because we don't see Peter Falk's name in the credits. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. Why isn't he credited? Do you think? We, yeah, I, I don't think. I think we he asked that out. not to be. I think it's like a like I thought he like want, asked to be uncredited or something. Maybe I just assumed that. I maybe that's not, not true. Yeah, I don't. If if we discovered that. Last time in a previous episode, I don't remember, but it makes as much sense as anything. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so then we have and Muppet performers. Steve Whitmire does. He, he's not. It's interesting. He's not credited with the other main guys further up, but he does get credited for his two speaking characters, Rizzo and Lips. And then that is followed by Louise Gold and Kathy Mullen or Catherine Mullen. Uh, and then we have six, which names. kind of bums me out because it just. It just reminds me that those two never got much to do as far as like playing characters, especially after the Muppet movie, after the Muppet show ended, you know, like been, I've always wished that Louise especially had like gotten more regular characters, gotten more to do and stuff. So Agreed. I don't know. Agreed. Yeah. It'd be nice to see Louise gold fo- followed by three characters that we all love or something. You sure. Know? 
and you know, like my instinct is to say, oh, well, she played Annie Sue on the Muppet Show, but Annie Sue's not really much of a character. She's no. she's in a few episodes, but she doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah, agreed. Right. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's nice that Catherine Mullen got to play one of the main fraggles, at least. Yeah, they gave her more to do. Right. And of. Cotterpin, who is Cotterpin. the best character on Fraggle Rock. Yeah. <laughs> I I wouldn't disagree with you. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Uh, so then we have six names under with for these are more puppeteers. I, I want to just touch on these briefly, hopefully briefly. Um, we talked about Bob Payne last season. He was in the credits of the Muppet movie. So you can go back and listen to that for more information on Bob Payne. Robert Barnett is described by Muppet Wiki as an actor and puppeteer with a background as a stilt walker and a clown. Uh, his other Muppet credits include Muppet Christmas Carol and Treasure Island he was one of the land striders in the dark crystal. And oh, actually cool. it was, yeah, it was his stilt walking abilities that inspired the land striders. Very cool. I'm sure you're going to say this in a few minutes, but uh, Hugh spite, one of the other guys listed here, he's like, those two are, are the two main land striders. Yes. So I, I kind of wonder if like, I mean, cause we know that a lot of the crew of this movie moved right onto dark crystal. Yeah. So, so many of the same people. Um, so I wonder if it wasn't like, well, you're going to do your stilt thing in our other movie. We need puppeteers on set, you know, like how about, how about like join the team early to, to that chemistry or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not be surprised at all if they came on board first for the dark crystal and then ended up working on this one. Yeah. And, and it was probably, well, probably was easier for hiring and for bookkeeping to have as many of the same people on the two projects as possible. Yeah. So if they had double skills, right. they were probably, you know, and also like Henson sort of liked to work uh, as an ensemble with the same people if possible over and over again. So it like totally makes sense. Like it fits with what we know about him and the way he liked to work. Right. Well, well, and, and like we've talked about on the podcast previously, the, those two movies have the same editor, the same cinematographer, um, so some other crew in common, but it's like some of the core team, like we're the same people, which mm-hmm. seems wild given what those two movies are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're very different, but it's but also, it was... it's also cool. Cause it's like Jim Henson, what a smart way for him to learn and grow as an artist is for him to be like, okay, I'm going to hire all the same people and we're going to do a Muppet movie. And it'll be my first movie that I've directed my first feature length film and he can really cut his teeth and learn how to communicate with all these people. And then he moves on to make this thing. That's like really much more experimental and ambitious, you know, like that's really cool that he thought right. to do that. With- and he already has a relationship now with these people, like especially somebody like the cinematographer or the editor right. where, you know, he can, they, they already have this, this rapport and most importantly with some right, but, walkers but, yes <laughs> <laughs> but we we also know from the jim henson biography by brian j jones yes that lou grade agreed to finance the dark crystal if jim made another muppet movie first totally yes right which makes so sense. it's not it's not a it's not a coincidence that he was like you know we're doing another Muppet movie he like contractually had to if he wanted to make his weird fantasy world right you know? yeah yeah which he was just like 
chomping at the bit to, to, to go do. Yeah, Jim, if you want to make your weird fantasy world, first you need to make another film, which also is set in a weird fantasy world. <laughs> a very different fantasy right. world. Yeah. <laughs> the next name is Brian Meal. He was a big part of the Muppet company for several years. He worked on The Dark Crystal also. He's actually one of the few puppeteers whose voice you hear in that movie he's the dying mystic at the beginning who gives jen the speech the very slow speech about finding the shard Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was a regular performer on sesame street for several seasons he was the first uh performer to play grungetta and also the first performer to play telly after his brief television monster phase Uh uh-huh yes and uh yeah so he he made a and he was he was briefly elmo like i don't know how much of actual yeah, he I, was, but I don't know. He's we know that he performed that puppet, right? Like, yeah, and I guess was he was the character's name Elmo at that point? Wasn't the puppet's name always Elmo? Yeah, I think it's just like it's. I mean that that puppet is named Elmo in the same sense that like I don't. I mean I don't know who's a who's a minor monster, you know? Just like just Maurice. like Maurice. I think it's more like yeah, like Maurice or like. You know, like Farley's not really much of a character. He's just a generic yeah. kid named Farley. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, I think there are some very early bits where this red monster. Is I think it was like monster. that kind of situation where it's just like, okay, this, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, well, I, I do know that we are all the, monsters. Yes, exactly. Um, I do know that the the people at Muppet Wiki uh, are piecing together the the history of Elmo. They've uncovered a few very early. Uh, instances of of him being performed by richard hunt and i think brian meal so um hopefully we'll there's, find out more about that that's interesting i'm looking forward yeah. to that there's actually a sketch that i think muppet wiki posted and like a, i think it might be actually kevin clash's first appearance of elmo but he uh-huh. has a very low gruff voice yes and my daughter iris loves my daughter iris who's five loves to imitate this voice like, I really should try to get a recording of her doing it. Because she'll just be like, when Elmo first showed up, you know? It's like, yeah. It's like, whoa, kid, whoa! You know? That's <laughs> very funny. Yeah, so for her, maybe if he stuck with that, she might like him more than she maybe likes squeaky-voiced Elmo, you know? Wow. Right, right. And and she likes she likes Elmo fine, you know? She's not like an Elmo hater or anything. But my, sure. uh, my, my one-year-old loves him. Love Elmo, big Elmo fan house. Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh Elmo, oh Elmo, all the time. Oh, <laughs> he has. Am I correct? He has yeah. even occasionally identified other characters as Elmo. He, he used to. He's he's grown out of it. Right. Okay. Right now, at at age twenty one months, Elmo Elmo is Elmo. Cookie Monster is Num Num. The Count is Ah Ah. Bird <laughs> is Bo. Ernie is Oni. Bert is Boo. And those are oh, oh and and Abby is Abby. Those those are the ones. He can <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever so, heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's really great. Also, I think it should be canonical that Big Bird's nickname is Bo. I'd love to see <laughs> him walk yeah. around Sesame Street and all the like the humans being like, hey, Bo, what's up? <laughs> Look at me. Amazing. <laughs> all right. Sesame oh, Workshop man. people, if you're awesome. listening, get on it. Yeah. And Big Bird's like, when did this start? <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> As we mentioned, Hugh Spite, the next name on the list, also a British puppeteer, also a stilt walker. He played the other Landstrider in The Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. 
And this is cool. This is mentioned on his Muppet Wiki page. He was a Gamorrean guard in Return of the Jedi. And he played Daleks in a Doctor Who serial in 1988. Ooh. Oh, so he's basically been in all the coolest stuff ever. Yeah, that's a nice resume. Yeah, that's really Wait, really 1988? Cool. Uh, so it was Remembrance. Yeah. Yes. Which rules, which is one. a great one. Well, there you go. do watch it. Don't don't watch Revelation of the Daleks, which is like the previous one. So I, when you said the Daleks in the 80s, I didn't know which one, but it was the good one. So awesome. there you go. It's very exciting. Next name is Mike Quinn. He's a British puppeteer also. He's done a ton of stuff with the Muppets and other things. Uh, he has many, many Muppet and Henson credits, movies, uh, TV series, specials. And um, he also worked on some Star Wars movies. He played and i'm never sure how to pronounce this guy's name he's a, a rebel pilot in return of the jedi is it nine nub uh nine nub <laughs> something it's, like that it's nine nub nine nub yeah and so cool. he's that's he cool. is uh lando's co-pilot in in return of the jedi that's how yes, that you might know him he's, yes. he's also in yeah. the last jedi as well uh where, yeah, yeah yeah performed again by mike quinn which is great right. like, yeah, where he is killed he dies in. Yeah. Is that, is, has right, that for sure right. been confirmed? Right. Sorry. That that's that's been verified. Like he definitely yeah, I died. Think, I think I think dies. Yeah. Are you not thinking of Admiral Akbar? Admiral Akbar you know dies what? in the last I, Jedi. I think I, I think you're right. Akbar is killed in the mm-hmm. last Jedi because I think Nine Nub might appear in yeah he's in he's in rise of skywalker no i think he's killed yeah, in rise he's alive. Of, he he's made killed it. in rise of skywalker he's oh killed. yeah okay that, that makes he, sense he's yeah. exploded during uh during uh the excessive use of force lightning that happens at the end of that movie with emperor palpatine i think that's when nine nub bites it if i remember correctly from uh, that very unmemorable star wars movie where there's no oh, poor buddy he deserved a better fate i what know I know, and that well, movie deserved more Laura Dern. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, at least at least Laura Dern went out like a hero, you know? Agreed, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Admiral Holdo. One more thing I wanted to say about Mike Quinn, though, is, is between his Muppet work and uh, his more recent Star Wars credits, he was an animator at Pixar for a while. He worked, yeah, he's been an animator for Pixar and ILM. That is so cool. And yes. and um, specifically in I know in Toy Story two, he was the lead animator on the Woody's Roundup segments specifically because they like they knew he would understand how the how the marionettes should move. That ah. totally makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's noted creep John Lester or somebody else on the audio commentary, but like they they say in that commentary that that's specifically why he was the animator on that. Very cool. Oh, that's great. So, Mike Quinn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I should also mention uh, Mike Quinn was a uh, presenter for the Tough Pigs. I think it was the Fozzie Awards or possibly the Snuffy Awards or possibly both. One of the Tough Pigs Awards shows that we did, or maybe both of them. He he was uh, generous enough to be a presenter. So cool guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the final... Well, the final name under with for the puppeteers on this list is Brian Henson. I think we all know who he is. Who's that uh, guy? Of course. Who is that? He he rode a tricycle uh, in this movie. Well, to his, a bunch of his Muppets dad. On bicycles. Yeah, his dad. Tell me about his dad. 
Well, his dad, Jim Henson, created lots of Muppets. See if you can see if you can spot any Muppets on this next episode of the Muppet Show. Okay, cool. I thought <laughs> yes. That, <laughs> I thought that your dad created a lot of Muppets, Anthony. <laughs> you know, I, that was part of my Brian Henson uh, cosplay that I do at home. Brian Henson, of course, his credits include The Hoggle and Labyrinth, The Dog and Storyteller, Sal, Seymour, Nigel, and Phil Van Neuter on Muppets Tonight, and he is currently the chairman of the Jim Henson Company, he's, so good for him. He's also, uh, just one of my favorite credits of his that we don't talk about a lot, is he's uh, Jack Pumpkinhead in Return to Oz. He is, yes. I From what I've heard, he wanted to go off and do some projects that did not have the name Henson on them, so he could sort of prove his his puppetry bona fides and yeah he's he's good in that role he's really good in that role that's a really wonderful strange and film wasn't he and right, right around that same time wasn't he one of the lead performers of audrey 2 in little shop of horrors in which version of little shop like like on stage or in the, uh the, frank oz no, like the, the frank oz movie oh was yeah, the he frank oz that, movie. that's awesome i don't remember mm-hmm. that but that seems likely yeah yeah totally and then, and then he's the director of the prestigious and well-recognized film, uh, you know, the, what was it called again? The Puppet Land Murders. The Happy Time, the Happy Time Murders. Murders. Yes, he yeah. is. Yeah, you know. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, now, the next name gets the and credit for the puppet, the puppeteer credits. Uh, it's and Carol Spinney as Oscar the Grouch. Yes. It's spelled with two R's and two L's which is not normally how his name is spelled. It's usually with one R. So I, I've always wondered if this is, like, did somebody make a mistake? I thought, wait, is it spelled with, I thought that when he was born, his parents spelled it Carol, like a Carol, which is C-A-R-O-L-L, right? Like a Christmas Carol. Well, Christmas Carol would just be C-A-R-O-L. That's right, C-A-R-O-L. But I have heard that because he was born the day after Christmas. He was born the day after Christmas, and then he changed it because he wanted to disassociate himself with Christmas Carols because he didn't, he wanted to sort of legitimize the name. So I thought that he ended up spelling it differently, Uh, maybe at least for some of his career. Yeah, I I mean, I've heard... I don't know if I've ever heard anything like that from a definitive source. I've heard things like that, but okay. So I get if he added an L, but then, uh, yeah, the, and I've I've definitely seen a couple other productions that credit him with two R's. That is so weird. Most of the time, it's one R, two L. So I don't know why every once in a while it's two R's, two L's, unless it's just a typo. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if anyone out there knows, please let us. Know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, actually a really interesting little mystery. Yeah. Why it would be spelled differently in different different moments. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think is that all the credits we get to? Yeah, that's all the credits we get to in these minutes. It is, but it's nice um, that at the very last minute we get to you know have a little moment to recognize Carol Spinney, who was such a huge influence on all of us and who we just lost, you know, Oh, absolutely. Just a few months ago. So it's, yeah. I, I like that in my moment of the great Muppet caper that you asked me to review, it ends with his credit. I I'm, yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. And I miss yeah. that guy a lot. He was oh, great. Man. Yeah. He touched all our lives as a performer. And if, you know, you ever had a chance to meet him and I met him twice and both times at appearances, he was just really inspiring and was really interested in people. 
And yeah, you know, he was really he, interested in you. Yeah, exactly. He really seemed to get just as much from meeting fans as they got from meeting him. Yeah, and that's that's special. It's very special. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I think one of the reasons why we felt so connected with his characters was sort of this this inquisitive gentle soul behind them. Sure. You know. So, even even the ones in this movie that pop out of garbage cans and are <laughs> mad. <laughs> right, just for a very brief cameo. Yeah, totally. Uh, while the credits are happening, the Muppets are singing this reprise of Hey, a movie. It's fun. I don't have a lot of other things to say about it other than I just like this this riff of them singing everybody and the world and me and then all the Muppets going and me and me and me. That's that's a really fun. Yeah. Idea. And it's really, really, really good heightening from the opening number, which does a similar version of that. But it's not all the Muppets in a triumphant way. Do right. It. That's just everybody. And then various characters at the end of the line will say and me. Wouldn't it have been so great if at the very end of this, I would have loved this if they were trying to set up for a sequel one of the Muppets, like, it ends up being a mask and it's Charles Grodin underneath and he goes, and me! And <laughs> the musical number. Be, He's still around. That'd be so good! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it was not meant to be. A sequel has never been made to The Great Muppet Caper. Not a direct sequel, no. No, no. Tribute, tribute film, but not a direct sequel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably could do another movie starting with them as newspaper reporters. Well, that would be a great jumping off point for a series of films with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Another interesting direction to take them in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's pitch that to Disney. Yeah, totally. A direct sequel. Yeah, it's it's yeah, definitely with different mysteries they can solve, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. All right. So any final thoughts about the song or these minutes in general? Louis, starting with you. Um, just thanks for having me on guys. It's a pleasure as always. And, uh, that's, I feel like I've said everything that can possibly be said about, about these two minutes of this film. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to being back on for take Manhattan, which is definitely my favorite. Love, love, love. All right. Well, we look forward to having you. Yeah. Anthony, any final thoughts? I think I covered it all. Very good. Uh, so listeners with that we'll wrap things up for this week um, we do still have more credits in this movie so um, we're going to have more things to say about the movie and the credits and other things so make sure you come back next uh, week for the last episode of this season for the Great Muppet Caper and uh, make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet Facebook, Twitter and all those other places you can also uh, drop by the Tough Pigs forum to tell us what you thought of this episode or the movie. That's linked on the front page of toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. Anthony is on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And Louie, remind us where people can find you on the internet. You can find me on the internet at Louie4711, both on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find me at www.louieperlman.com to learn about all my uh, projects and writing and podcasting and uh, plays and performances going up. And you can find me in New York City very often going up for Chinese food if you want to go get some dumplings. I just love them. There you go. Say hi and then <laughs> buy Louis some dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't mind, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or 
real life or wherever. And if you and... do mind, give them make make an enemy of yours. Give them a positive review. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, tell your enemies to give us a good exactly. review, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along, starring everybody and me. And me. And me. Hey, Miles, who's this? Uh-uh. Who's that? Boo. Who's that? Emma. No, no. Annie. Boop. Boop. Who's that? Happy.